Welcome to Savvy Sabs podcast on call in tonight. We are talking about the class divide. So I just mentioned this uh, live on YouTube that Congress just got a 21% raise. Uh, did you get a 21% raise? And granted, that's spread out multiple ways. But I think it leads us into discussing the class divide. And I want to get your opinion about that. So I'm going to go ahead and take our first caller, which is Sam. Sam, you'll just have to unmute yourself and go right ahead. Sabi, hello. How are you doing? Hey, Sam. <laughs> Hi there. Um, yeah, I love you guys, uh, Revolutionary Blackout, and um, your whole group, including everyone from like uh, JB to Rome, uh, Jay, Nick, uh, and yourself. You guys are awesome. I'm glad there are people that can speak their mind in a more honest way. That doesn't involve kowtowing to like political narratives from neolibs, which we see everywhere. Everyone from um, the ones that annoy us to even Marianne Williamson um, and uh, the few people like Aaron Maté, Glenn Greenwald, Jill Stein, and yourself and your group. Um, I really appreciate how um, honest and straightforward you've been. Oh, thank you so much. That's good to hear. Um, do you have any thoughts about the class divide in the United States? Yeah. Um, so um, my background is in neurobiology, but I became really interested in the financial sector over the last couple of years. Um, and what I currently see um, going on in the United States, um, and especially under Joe Biden, it's been, it's been pretty abysmal. Like we, under a Republican president during a pandemic, we had enhanced unemployment benefits and student debt relief and mortgage forbearance. And that was all like cut under a Democratic president. <laughs> so it was pretty, it's pretty depressing. Um, but what I see currently going on with the exploit. So I, I love, I love this and it's kind of depressing, but the dollar itself, the, the imperialist empire of the United States has this dollar monetary system, of course. We keep hearing about it. And people talk about it in a weird, kind of non-nuanced way. Um, but it's exploitative in its nature in that U.S. workers here, U.S. workers doing the same job in America versus another country will get paid more in the U.S. dollars than a, foreign, a foreigner would for the same type of labor. And that, that so, and we can buy products from overseas so that, that, that differential is exploitation in itself. And those, that do, those dollars eventually get reinvested in the United States, which end, end up making the oligarchs richer. And that's the whole point of the inflationary system. And that money is used to prop them up um, to uh, pad corporate um, profits and buy off politicians. And that will keep repeating itself and it keeps getting worse and worse every year. That's why these old people are still in in power instead of a newer, younger generation. Um, I personally don't see it getting any better. I just spoke with uh, Jay uh, and Rob and Bob in another call-in prior to this. I, g I gave a pretty radical proposal on, on what, what I think the left should do. I'm not going to go into that mm -hmm. here because it takes some time. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to get any better anytime soon. And the current international environment in which Russia is being sanctioned and is being pushed pushed out of the dollar system 
which I believe that they planned to do anyways. I think you've talked about it. They're planning to move to their um, to a strong relationship with China and the digital yuan and possibly their own digital currency, um, in which India and other Asian countries will will go to. And that that monetary flow ends up not not buying U.S. bonds and will eventually lead to hyperinflation, which will lend to lead to austerity for the for the middle class and poor in the United States. It's going to get worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And I want to say if Jay and people that are going to vote um, for a third party instead of more radical solutions, if the best possible scenario were to happen, let's say Jill Stein, someone that we all love, came into power as president of the United States, impossible, but let's say that's, that's the best case scenario in short term for us actually getting anything at all in terms of... Um, uh, something passed that's actually progressive. She would preside over a hyperinflationary environment with actual an actual necessity for wartime tactics to prop up the U.S. dollar, and mm-hmm. require straight up neoliberal neocon like um, strategy making overseas. She would preside over kind of the death nail death death nail to our monetary system, and and hyperinflation, and it would be blamed on the left. I don't see anything positive happening soon, other than I hope people will organize and actually get in the streets advocating for policy change because everything else, uh, it leads to a really dark path in which we're just going to be demonized. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Sam, you know they're going to blame the left regardless, right? Like yeah. no matter what happens, yeah, they're, they're going to blame us regardless. But I think you brought up a good point about uh, what Americans are paid in this country compared to other countries. I know like when I lived in Germany, that was one of the things that for teachers, mm-hmm. this is why some American teachers will go overseas and teach because they make more in countries like Germany or I've had friends go teach in South Korea. So it's it's really kind of uh, disappointing that we can't have that same type of lifestyle and type of pay, especially as for teachers, because I think the teachers are very underrated in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a field that requires you to have a college degree. Yeah. But it's not te- it's not treated like a profession in the United States and teachers are not paid what they should be paid in this country. So what happens is that causes more people not to go into a teaching profession. So Americans are, we're not getting the best teachers in this country because of that. And I want people to really understand that there's a reason why the schools in Germany, the schools in some of these other countries have some of the best teachers because they pay them what they should make. And if you're going to pay people scraps here and you want them to go into this profession where they're not just supposed to teach. They're also supposed to be a babysitter. They're also supposed to be a counselor. So I think you're right. Like when it comes to the wages in this country, we just don't, it's, it's not there, um, especially when it comes to positions that are public service positions as well. For, yeah, for public service positions um, in that regard, it's definitely true that um, there's underfunding and, the actual role of those positions is kind of a parody of what should be relative, for example, teachers overseas, like in countries like Germany, they're, they're so wicked smart. They're, they're critical thinkers yep. and everything. They're not kowtowing to a certain narrative that they can, they have to stick to, um, which is, which is absolutely amazing. Did you say that you were working overseas or that you were studying overseas in Germany? 
Well, I grew up in Germany. Oh, so you. So I went to yeah, I went to international like the international schools. So we had teachers from from all over, like. But some of the teachers were from the United States. Some were from America. Excuse me. Some were from the United States. Some were from Germany, but some were also from like the Philippines and and Guam. So you got to meet like everybody. But even those teachers that they brought in, like they bring in the best teachers. They don't bring in teachers that. I guess you would say are are underperforming, uh-huh. um, but some of them would stay there for years. Like even when we came back to the United States, some of my teachers stayed there, even retired because they were like, why would I come back to the United States? They're not going to pay me what I'm making here as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, were you born in Germany? I was born in Maryland, but I didn't oh, go to perfect. school yeah, I that's didn't start great. school in the United States. Now, yeah. So now I can vote for you for uh, as president one day. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't All right, be Sadie. you. Well, All righty. Thanks so much, Sam. Okay. All right. Take care, Sabi. Bye. Cool. All right. I'm going to go ahead and bring in the next caller, which is Eric. What's going on, Eric? How are you feeling about the class divide in this country? Oh, boy. Where do I begin with this? Um, (laughs) So, so savvy, everybody listening, you know, um, when when we all like to get a 21% raise for doing absolutely shit? I mean, when when, when we all like to get a raise for doing nothing, just absolutely nothing, if anything, making stuff worse. Mm Mm-hmm. And... And to pick up on the teaching point, too, because I'm a teacher myself and I happen to be teaching in Florida, of all places. <sighs> Ron DeSantis is a jackass. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, that that point is so true, too, about, like, all quality teachers just dipping and just leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, like, this year we had a bunch of teachers just le- either retire early, leave completely, whatever. And you're not paying people like this year, effectively, um, given my school situations, especially was especially bad. Um, I basically had to teach in three of my classes effectively turned into six. So because the teacher had issues with her with his passport or whatever, that's resolved, thank God. But I'm like, Mm. what the fuck? How am I supposed and because mind you, I don't have that much experience myself. And and yeah, I just look at teaching as a whole and going, y'all really don't give a damn. And, and yeah, we really don't give a damn in this country. Um, no. Nope. And that's why I like, I guess I like what I see uh, Chris Hedges doing with um, teaching in the prison and mm-hmm. some of those guys coming out and becoming teachers themselves. And I was like, why aren't we doing this? Oh yeah, that's right. We don't actually care. Right. <laughs> yeah, we don't actually we don't actually care. And I'm I'm sitting there like, dude, y'all, if we had the education we should have had, bro, and I tell some of these students, I'm like, y'all should be demanding stuff out of us. If anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, of course, you know, Florida one of the big states in the center of that whole, of the whole CRT crap. Um, yeah. 
And of course, Ron DeSantis like, oh, yeah, you can't teach about the evils of communism. <laughs> and I, I'm just, I just like, oh boy, here you go, pandering to the base. <laughs> and it's, it's just like, dude, man, <laughs> bro. If only some of them, in mostly, I have a school of mostly, um. Mostly black people, mostly just us, and and it's like if only y'all really got to learn about Marxism, if only. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of class divides, and speaking of class divide, like I give examples of to my students, like even in math class, I give examples, like hey, um, why do we have schools that are funded differently, um. Look at the neighborhoods. You literally have parents that drive through neighborhoods before they choose a school. Yep. Just to see what kind of neighborhood the school's in. Oh, this school's in a terrible neighborhood. Let's not go here. You know? Or, yep. oh, that school's in a really nice upscale neighborhood. Let's go here. And yep. This is, we're effectively teaching our children subliminally and also in other, in just blatant ways that this class divide is not only okay, but it's normal. And that, and I'm like, y'all, that has to stop. Like when you start, and when you see people like, um, uh, who's it? Mike, like Michael Jordan, Oprah, Lil Wayne, or people like that, when push comes to shove, they're going to go toward their class interests. Thank you. And it, and that's why I was glad y'all. That's why I was glad RBN did the video on calling out people like Michael Jordan and Oprah and people like that. It's like, thank God, because yeah. because <laughs> you better believe I showed that video to my students. You and, showed it to your student? Yes. And oh, and yes, wow. my stu- my students watched um Rome's tour uh tour for the poor too. Mm-hmm. They watched him at the especially was at the gas station. Yeah. I'm that type of teacher. <laughs> oh, I gotta watch my language. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's all I mean, it's all good. I mean they 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 cuss like they they cuss like a mile a minute anyway. Every other word is a curse word to them. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's it's just been I guess it's amazing having a channel like RBN to where I can have videos for black folks to play to other black folks and, and you know, yeah. like just get all types of, whether it's just silence when y'all are making a point or just like, like, oh, snap, this, oh, this dude Rome is really giving people $5. Oh, snap. But, mm-hmm. but yeah. But yeah, it's, it's just we need more of like channels like R, well, channels like RBN or like if anything, teachers just being free. You know, teachers being free to teach everything. Because one example I gave was like, we're effectively handcuffed as teachers. We can't tell you everything. Yep. Because some of these parents That's are so, so true. Huh? That's so true. All right. 
Yeah, I wish more people realized that. Like every now and then you might luck up and you might end up with a teacher that's a little bit more, uh, they're at a school that's a little bit more looser and they, they're not as strict and you don't have to follow the curriculum, you know, to T. But those people are far and few. Yeah, that's pretty much what my school is. Um, we still have to follow curriculum, yeah, but like we're we're especially um, focusing on caring about students. You know, we we have like I guess you sometimes we have the less behaved students. Like we have a lot of students with records and stuff like that, and um, like actual like some of our students have actual like charges and and I, I tell a lot of them when you get in my when you get in this class um I don't look at that I, I'm like I ask the question who is the person sitting in front of me now right what has that person learned and let's and let's help build up the person that I'm seeing in front of my face but that I, is awesome. That is awesome. I, I appreciate you, uh, Eric. Um, I'm going to go ahead to the next caller, but thank you so much for calling in. No problem. Appreciate you. Talk to you later. Yep. All right. I'm going to take the next caller. This is Donald. Welcome, Donald. Greetings. How are you feeling about this class divide in this country? You'll have to unmute yourself if it's your first time using the app. Not sure if you can hear me. Oh, you hear me. Hi, Donald. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Oh, good. You can hear me. I kept trying to call in to different call-ins with uh, Brianna and all these folks, and I couldn't get it, but I'm on with you. So without wasting time, you're one of the best podcasters along with Katie and and Matt and breaking points and all that. I just discovered you, but you're just great. The way you handled Nick Brana, that whole thing was just great. And I love you, you know? Oh, thank you so much. That's really sweet. Yeah. So uh, to jump, get to the point. Yeah. I mean, class divide, right? So you're on the subject of education. So I'll look at my note here, Fred Hampton. Okay. And everybody loves to talk about Fred Hampton, but I don't see a lot of people acting that way in terms of two things, education, education, education of people that you need on your side, whether it's Black Lives Matter, any movement like that. And the other part of it is, what would happen, do you think, Seb, if somebody that was a true blue Black Lives Matter uh, supporter, like, not you know, not a grifter, but a real deal, and they said, gee, we need to work with, whether it's QAnon or anybody, we need to work with white supremacists. We need to reach across the aisle and sit down with them and work something out. What do you think would happen to that BLM person? They would disappear pretty, pretty uh, quickly. Right. And that's what Fred Hampton got assassinated for, for doing just that. So my point is, the people that would cancel are doing the job of the deep state. They're doing the job of the oligarchs. That's what they want. And until mm. we get back to the reality of reaching, well, I live in the country now, right? and I've lived in the inner city. I've lived in upper middle class where it's like 2% black or people of color. And I live in the inner city where literally I was the only white people were me and my roommate. 
and our lesbian uh, landlord. We are the only white people on the whole block. So, I mean, I've really lived with all kinds of different people. And I can't talk to the people I agree with 90% of the time on the left now. I would call myself left of Bernie to the right of Richard, you know, not as far mm -hmm. left as Richard Wolf, but I'm over on the left way much. And I can't even communicate. But I could talk to people where I live now in the country. It's like Mayberry where I live and the Trumpers. I can actually have discussions, heated discussions with Trumpers, but I can't with people I agree with anymore. It's crazy. A lot has a lot has changed. I mean, I've noticed that before too. Nick talked about this as well um, in reference to this is a different Nick. Uh, Nick from RBN talked about this as well in reference to when he was canvassing for Bernie Sanders. He was flipping conservative voters, and I, I think that's something that people don't understand is that you shouldn't just rule people out because they're not a part of the same political party as you, or they don't have have the same political ideology as you. If you don't talk to them, you'll never know how they really feel about the issues. And that's why I tell people stick to the issues. Talk to people about health care. Do they think everyone should have health care? How do they feel about having paid family leave? Like you really have to talk to them about the issues. I think where you're going to find more agreement on start with those first and then you can get to the part where you talk about the issues, the areas where you may disagree. But no, it's 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 true. I think that like when I think about the class divide like in this country, I've been on both sides. So like I grew up middle class and then I graduated college. Uh, 08 housing crisis happened. Couldn't find a job that was going to pay anything. So I, I was poor for a couple of years. I've talked about this before on my show. And it took me a while to get out of that hole, like uh, financially. But eventually I did get out of that. But I know what it's like to be on both sides. And yeah. now I'm, I'm in Boston, Massachusetts. I've been here for over 10 years. And I got to tell you, there is are serious class issues here in Massachusetts. There is a big wealth inequality in this state. And I live in on the side of the state that is the academic elite part of the state. And what I've noticed is that it is easier for me to have these conversations with people that are not a part of that class than it is to talk to people that are a part of that class, even though I came from academia, if that makes sense. Right, right. Just no, because I Right. Just because I've been on both sides and, and I'm talking to people. I worked at MIT and like I worked at Boston University and I noticed like we didn't come from the they haven't been on both sides. So right. they don't understand that when I, I tell them, like, listen, people need health care in this country. Like not everybody can afford to pay for these prescription medications. Their response is typically. Well, if they work hard and they study hard and then they'll get into a good school and then they'll get out of that. I'm like, no, poverty is a, is a, a cycle. It's not easy to get out, especially without any kind of help. Uh, I feel like those conversations just go over their head. Uh Oh, Donald, you still there? I think I lost him. Wait, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay, I hear you. Okay. But yeah, so I've been in and out of the left, and there were some terms that we used to use, uh, friendly fascists and the hip wazee. The friendly fascists are, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't hear those terms as much anymore. I certainly didn't invent them. But it's the, the hipsters who, and believe me, there was so much misogyny, like uh, Grateful Dead tours and things and traveling around the country. So much misogyny and sexism, it's not even funny. And among 
suburban elite, the limousine liberals, friendly fascists, you could call them, which is what we have now in spades, where it's like, here's why. And I'll just let, I'll leave, I'll have one more point about electoral politics, if you just give me a minute, is because they know they're right. In other words, people on the right will say, yeah, you know, I don't care about facts so much, and I don't know what the feeling, it's faith. They'll tell you, they'll say it like that. They won't say that I have the answers because I'm intellectually superior. But they'll admit more or less that it's a feeling. It's in your gut. It's how I was raised or whatever. It, it might be hokey, but it, that's, that's it. On the left, you have, no, no, we researched it and we know it. But they tribalize <laughs> within themselves that but since we know we're right, we could call you guys rude, but we're the real smart ones. And it's like, no, people, you have your head further down in the sand than anybody on the right that you're talking about. And mm. just, here's just something that, uh, it, it, you know, I've been called to John Brown by activists like strong, you know, college educated folks. You don't know me from Adam. But so to make this criticism, I'm going to say it, you know, it's like so in the suburbs, you got the QAnon adjacent. You got the people that are telling you that, you know, Biden's evil and, uh, you know, homeschooled. The earth is 5000 years old. Yeah. A lot of ignorance over there being taught. But in the inner cities. And I fought this every time there was this guy named Walt Dixon. He did some good stuff. And he was with Al Sharpton, you know, the people's network and all that. And every time his, you know, name would show up, it'd be like, oh, what's his grip now? They opened a co-op on the, on the south side. Of course, it had like 10 cans on it. And they had all these videos of going to New York and talking to people that had successful co-ops. And it's like the grip is real. And I'm sorry, but like the people that are the precinct captain, this is what I say to people about third party. What are you going to do with the Democratic Party? The Republicans go to the precinct level. If you're not doing it there, the grift is real. And it's, I'm not even going to hate people. You know, it's their life. It, what they do is they just tell people who to vote for. And the people, as you know, and I'll leave with this, whether it's uh, who's that guy that is now uh, 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 not Jefferson or what's his name that's the uh, leader, of, Cedric Richmond. You know, he was in one of the impoverished city areas, in, you know, in Louisiana. You have uh, Clayar, you have the person outside of Chicago who's pro-corporate, like openly, pro-life, you know, anti-union. You have people that are. And so when I hear people on the left say, oh, yeah, those dang, you know, Trumpsters are such rubes. People are not down there like Fred Hannon or whoever else. And I try to do it in my little life as I go through my life, you know, and try to explain stuff to people. But they're not getting the message. They're going to vote for Biden. They're going to vote for the people that the local business owners and the people that run these small these towns are going to tell them who to vote for and it isn't going to be bernie and it isn't going to be a third party you know person of color that's part of the left it's going to be the corporate dem and that's who runs the cbc you know that too you know and part of that's yeah. genuine part of that's a genuine conservatism socially among church go you know among the faith community and they're important believe me i'm not i'm not putting it down entirely that's who really the, the beauty of the neighborhoods and who does the good stuff in the neighborhood but you know what i'm saying i'll leave it at that you get my point i think but that's just it's just not going to change until people realize that the people on the right and the left that the people aren't necessarily looking out for you just because you're they're you know showing up in the neighborhood and putting out clothing drives and things that's just you know they're doing real stuff but over with the other hand man they're just taking a lot of money from the corporate dems and they're not looking back Mm. Wow. Well said, Don. Thanks so much for calling in. All right. Thank you. I'll talk to you again. All righty. All right. Thanks so I think I am. Whoopsie. What'd you say, Don? I'm oh, sorry. 
No, I'm just saying food for thought, you know, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if people, it's it would be controversial if I had a, a, a platform where we're saying the things I'm saying to you, I would have to have, uh, you know, thought about it and written it word for word and do a couple drafts and edit it to make sure it wasn't, you know, because I mean, I, I just laid it out there extemporaneously, but I don't know. I think there's some points there. I don't know if you agree or disagree with any of it, but I'd be interested in your thoughts. Yeah, no, you have some good points. You have some good points. Thanks so much. Thank you. I'll listen into the rest of the callers. Okay. Thanks. Okay, so I want to go to the next caller, which is Kusha. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. So let me go to take next caller. Okay, so Kusha, you are now on the mic. Good evening, Sabi. Thank you so much for putting me on the mic. And yes, you did uh, pronounce my name very well. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate the opportunity to be in dialogue with you. Like the previous caller, Donald, uh, I'm, I very much enjoy the way you conduct yourself around other people. You're very polite, very kind. Um, you're very amiable. So uh, keep up the great work and how you interview. Oh, thank you so much. Um, how are you feeling about the class divide in the country? Absolutely. Well, if there's something I'd like to say about the class divide, I think there's two large points I'd really like to raise and hear your analysis of. I think the previous caller, Donald, talked about it when he mentioned like white supremacists. I think when you look at the class divide, you have many people who are poor, working poor, working class, but they still have an ideology that can be exploited. Uh, you think of fascists, Nazis, Ku Klux Klan, Aryan Brotherhood, and that's just like if you think about like in the U.S. and in Germany and so on. But you have like ISIS in Iraq and Syria, Taliban in Afghanistan, Al-Qaeda in the Middle East, Boko Haram in Nigeria, Al-Shabaab, um, Al-Nusra. And so I think this is also an important thing to consider. Uh, like Mussolini had like the black shirts. Pinochet had all sorts of right-wing extremists to support him in the coup d'etat that Richard Milhouse Nixon and Henry Alfred Kissinger organized in 1973. Or in the 1953 coup d'etat, uh, Shabon Jafari organized same types of people. Marx uh, had a term for this called lumpen proletariat. And I think it's very important to have this in the analysis when you think about the class divide. Not necessarily that someone who is of this uh, working class or poor background, uh, and they do end up being uh, a right wing uh, enabler, right wing enforcer, right wing supporter. It's not that they cannot change, but I think uh, perhaps you'll agree that you have to have a specific agenda to deprogram them out of this bigotry and pull them out of this deep rabbit hole of hatred and vitriol and, and uh, you know, um, mm. uh, damage to society with what that worldview can do when enacted forcefully. And so there's that on one end, I think, about um, this term lumpen proletariat. I also think what's interesting about it is how, like, the Black Panthers approached lumpen proletariat. If I'm not mistaken, they were not necessarily to with incorporating lumpen proletariat. And this is a term I believe Marx and Engels uh, coined. But if I'm not mistaken, it was the Black Panthers um, who wanted to mobilize the lumpen proletariat as they were, I think, um, in the sense, and, and I think Mao Zedong in some ways also used many peasants who had like reactionary ideas, but saying like, okay, we can mobilize them still, we can organize with them as they are. So that's one thing that I really like to raise and hear your thoughts on. And secondly, what I'd like to hear your thoughts on 
is the class divide you mentioned to me in the US. Uh, I'm curious to know your thoughts about the class divide internationally. Because what I've noticed with many people in the US media who uh, are left wing and they have decent platforms, like 100,000, 200,000 plus followers, that there is a hesitancy to extend solidarity and doing it in action, forming the networks that you are doing very well and many people in the U.S. are doing very well, like we see Christian Smalls for Amazon or Jas Brizak for the Starbucks workers. There are many. But the benefits of having a solidarity internationally, not just with those who are living under allies of the United States government that are very oppressive domestically, like Egypt or Saudi Arabia or Turkey or Colombia, but also with enemy governments of the United States, people who live under them and are left-wing progressives, uh, labor organizers who are begging for people who have the freedom to make these critiques to do so and also extend the solidarity, give them platforms and so on. Like under the Islamic Republic of Iran, there are many people like Parvin Mohammadi, Sepide Bouliyan, Sohail Arabi, Ismail Bakhshi. Ismail Bakhshi is like Christian Smalls in Iran. He organized the Seven Hill Sugar Factory, like around 6,000 workers, something like that. Same thing like Christian Smalls. But, you know, he was tortured, imprisoned, detained, family threatened. But what I'm really curious about is, do you believe that the class divide is something in which those in the United States should pursue having relationships, making networks, forming solidarity, doing action, giving the rhetorical support to condemning the enemy governments of the United States, while at the same time, that doesn't preclude condemning the militarism and jingoism of the United States as a war machine? Because obviously what happens is, in these tensions, between the U.S. government and when it comes to invading Saddam Hussein's Iraq or invading uh, Afghanistan, uh, invading the Taliban, which, of course, is the Frankenstein's monster of the U.S., just as much as the Islamic Republic of Iran is, because the Carter administration supported their rise. But that ultimately what happens is you have so many poor and working class people, and especially precious children, who are always just... um, you know, the ones being ravaged and destroyed and decimated with this. And I think that I'm not saying that the U.S. government, Biden, Trump and so on, Obama, Clinton, when they make these criticisms, it's obviously deeply hypocritical. It's obviously a grandstanding. We know the U.S. after World War II has been involved in coup d'etats aplenty, whether that was in Chile, Argentina, Iran, or invasions like Iraq, um, you know, trying to... um, just overwhelm Cuba with the Bay of Pigs and so on, or even if you look at Operation Northwoods in 1962 with Kennedy, which Kennedy rejected to like carry out terrorism, the U.S. CIA trying to carry out terrorism to launch an invasion into Cuba. So like that's all there, and I think the full story just needs to be told when talking about foreign policy and U.S. history, and especially as it pertains to your original question about the class divide internationally, because many friends of my dad. They suffered. My dad was supposed to be executed by the Zan Republic of Iran as a labor organizer. He was a part of a worker council in the 1980s, early 80s. The worker council movement was crushed by the Zan Republic of Iran, just like the Kurds were crushed, because these were strong elements of resistance, and the Zan Republic needed an external enemy, just like we see that the U.S. always needs an external enemy when there are episodes of people suffering so deeply in the country and poverty being so immense, as we see now with, like, um, the focus being directed to Ukraine. Of course, Putin's invasion was murderous and atrocious, but there was much by the U.S. and NATO that led to this uh, point, and Putin escalated from there. Or during the Bush administration, using the scapegoat of Iraq and Afghanistan uh, instead of addressing, you know, worsening healthcare conditions. You mentioned healthcare. 
And we know that Medicare for All will save not just money, but tens of thousands of lives. If you saw Professor right. Alison Albani's study in The Lancet, I believe in about a year yep. or two ago it was, that it would save uh, $450 billion a year over 10 years, I believe, each year over 10 years, and some 68,000 lives, over 68,000 lives, because we have 37 million people who are uninsured and 41 million people who are underinsured. So I really love to hear your thoughts on, and I can reiterate them, on the two points that I stated. One on like this notion of lumpen proletariat, what that means for the class divide. And secondly, for international worker solidarity, both with people who live under allies of the U.S. Gov uh, government and those who live under enemies of the U.S. government. I'd really love to hear your thoughts. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, when you look at the model that like Fred Hampton had, what the Black Panthers did, I think that it's important to remember, because this is one point I think sometimes people do forget about. I think it's important to remember that when Fred Hampton did approach the uh, the young patriots, he did tell them that in order for them to work together, they would have to denounce racism first. And so there were some of them that were willing to do that and there were some that weren't. So not everybody moved over uh, to be in solidarity with the Black Panthers. So that's, that is one thing I, I do just want to point out. And I think that we have different opinions about this over at RBN. Um, there are some of us that are willing to to still work with people that have like that, that may be racist, that may have that mindset, right? And try to change them. And then there are some of us that kind of feel like we've tried that before. We've been down that road and we prefer not to work with people that, that are racist. Um, so I think it just depends. Like, but I think the problem that I think you're going to run into when you are working with people that still have like that deep rooted racism, um, they are going to have to, again, go through some type of deprogramming because what happens when you're fighting for class solidarity and then all of a sudden, let's say it's a job issue and the issue is you have a, a supervisor that's deciding who, who to pay what to, right? And so let's say the supervisor gives the white employees a higher higher pay raise or a higher salary. They're offered more money uh, to stay with the company and the black employee is not. Well, then I think that's where you might run into issues with the race issue. And so I think this is why it's important that for me, they would have to denounce the, like the racist beliefs would have to go. And this is coming from someone where I lived in the South. I've lived overseas and I have tried to do those types of things before. And what I found along the way is that in order for people to respect you fully as a person, for me, they'll have to denounce the racism has to go. And that's not something I realize that's not something that I can do for them. Like they have to want to change that. I can educate them as much as possible. But if people don't show you any type of respect and don't want to hear what you have to say because of your skin color, it's going to be hard to get across to them. In the first place. So I think for me, they would have to denounce that. I think when it comes to the different platforms, yes, I think we need to, and, and Jordan Sherrington was mentioned this recently, there should be one large network, not on YouTube. It could be on Roku or some platform off of uh, YouTube. And all of the left independent media networks should be on that platform, whether we get along with each other or not. Just have all of us on that platform 
people can hear different points of view and, and opinions. We don't have to be buddies. But I think what I have noticed is when it comes to the international perspective, when it comes to the war perspective, there are some areas for me that I will hit a wall on. And for me, I'm anti-war, I'm anti-imperialist. And right now you have some people on the left that are not anti-imperialist and they're not anti-war or they kind of like talk around it in a way to make it seem like what they're saying is not so bad, even though it is. So that's not something for me that I can negotiate on. That's not an area I'm willing to budge on. When it comes to those international movements, I think it's important to have people in, in the community, in the podcast community that are international. So at RBN, we have Josana, uh, Dr. Karim Batesh and Peter Beatty, you know, they're abroad. Um, but Josana's from Brazil and she's here, you know, in America now. I think it's very important that we do build solidarity with people who are abroad, not just in the United States. And so that is something that RBN is working on. I know we're working on an international leftist uh, summit as well. And that's why you'll see us bring on people, people who are abroad, people who have different opinions. But I think in in reference to solidarity in general, the biggest problem I think that we run to in reference to the shows is there's a lot of ego and there's a lot of money. And those of us who don't have the ego and those of us who don't have the money, we seem to be the ones that are really willing to work together, to work with go across channels and work with other people. And then there's some exceptions also too to that. Like Jimmy will go, Jimmy has no problem going on smaller channels. Not everybody is that way. In fact, most people are not that. I'm just being honest. Most people are not that way. So if people really want a movement and they really want to bring about change in this country and they really want to help people, people have to put their egos aside and they stop, have to stop thinking with their wallet and start thinking with their heart. And until that happens, I don't really see the left really moving anywhere. And I feel like this is why we never win anything, because there's too many egos involved. And there's some people that's got too much money involved and they care more about that than they do about actually helping people. Because if you really want to help people, you don't have to do that through electoral politics. You can help people through mutual aid. You can help people through direct action. You can help people by going out in the streets and protesting with your friends. You can help people doing that. And you don't see those people doing that. So I think for me, that that is the big thing. The first question you need to ask yourself, who is actually in this that really actually wants to help people and create change? And who is doing this because they're just making money? And they may it may not have started that way. Some people probably started off with good intentions. But I think we can all look around and see where they are now. Things have definitely changed. And Bernie Sanders is not running for president. So for me, like, I think you need to work with people. Like I said, all of us do need to come together, I think. But I don't think that will happen because there's too much ego. And then some people, they're not going to want to leave the money that they're getting. So they're not going to be willing to work with people that have smaller like channels than them. And that's really unfortunate because there's a lot of things that we could teach them that they have no clue about because they're a part of a totally different class. They don't know what it's like to struggle. They've never been working class. They've never had like a job 
where they might've been making like minimum wage. If you have never experienced that, just because you read a book about this theory on it, that doesn't mean you really know what it's like. I think you have some. That's my, good... Oh, please go on. Oh, I was going to say that's, that's my rant on that. <laughs> oh, it was definitely not a rant. It was uh, very welcome. I think you made a very beautiful point about how many such people um, may be thinking with their wallets instead of their hearts. Um, for me, I'm personally someone who loves the opportunity to speak with different people, um, whatever their political worldview is, because uh, I love uh, being able to share any information I picked up and experiences. And I think you have a very strong point here when you say, like, if you've not experienced, um, you were saying like minimum wage, but I think it definitely connects to just the exploitation that comes within um, like a big business or just the employer-employee relationship, seeing it very clearly. Like, for instance, a teacher, oftentimes you talked about, like, uh, it was being mentioned, and I really enjoyed that, about how, like, in Germany, the teachers make much more. The teachers here get paid such paltry wages, and they can't live that well. But oftentimes, maybe the employer-employee relationship is not that evident. For me, I work for a very large accounting firm, and we have to work 50 to 65 hours a week during this time of the year until April 15th for the tax season. And it's so evident, like multiple times a week, we have calls about, you know, how many hours are you going to work right now? How many hours on this client? Being micromanaged constantly, the, the, the reaching, being messaged, are you doing this right now? Are you doing that? And so you see it so heavily. I see like how much uh, the firm charges the clients for how much uh, for every hour of work I do versus how much I get paid per hour. When I calculate, I get paid a salary though. There's no overtime, whatnot. We don't have any union, whatnot. So I see it very clearly. And you're right. Like when you're working minimum wage, it's very obvious to you. The exploitation is very obvious to you. Sometimes people need something directly in the, in their sites to be able to get that analysis. So I think that's a very rich point you make. One thing that I really like to ask you about when you said like, I'm anti-war, I'm anti-imperialist. Um, for me, when I hear the word anti-imperialist, it, uh, when it's used, it, it raises a lot of questions for me. And I'm very curious to know, what does it mean to you to be anti-imperialist? Well, it definitely, when you look at the United States government, for example, the United States government has been known for decades, centuries, to steal resources from other countries. They've done this to Haiti. They've done it to Africa. They've done it to Afghanistan. That's why we were in Afghanistan. A lot of people don't want to talk about that. But there were resources there. We see right now, even with the conflict with Russia and Ukraine, there's a pipeline involved. So I don't agree with, and I say the United States government because we're usually the ones that do it. I don't agree with the United States government intervening in other countries getting involved in their conflicts, taking their resources. I don't believe in regime changes, the United States government doing that as well. I think when it comes to other countries' affairs, I do not like for us to get involved. And the reason is because every time we do that, the people in those countries, they're worse off than before we intervened. Perfect example of that, um, Saddam Hussein. And my dad talked about this. So my dad was, you know, ex, my dad's like retired military. So I, I grew up with this stuff. So I got to see like both sides of it. And yeah. Saddam Hussein, perfect example. Was Saddam Hussein awful? Absolutely. But the United States government got involved, took out Saddam Hussein, and that gave rise to ISIS. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the people, the people in, in that country, they were now worse 
after mm-hmm. U.S. intervention. I think the United States government has absolutely destroyed Haiti, mm-hmm. but they don't want Haitian people to come here for a better life. And now look at what they've done to Afghanistan. They put sanctions on them and people are starving there. And now they put sanctions on Russia. And they're, mm-hmm. they're bombing people in Somalia. They're, what have they done to people in Yemen? Like mm-hmm. it gives this, this idea that the United States government is supposed to be the world's police. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that. I, I agree with the points you raised, the substance of it. I agree with all of them. No one can deny that. What the U.S. did to Haiti what the U.S. did to Afghanistan, what it did to invading Saddam, even though he was their ally during the Iran-Iraq war, even though they were supporting both sides, of course. And uh, so this, I'm, my mom lived through the Iran-Iraq war. Her neighborhood in Tehran was being bombed by Saddam's fighter jets. My, uh, her brother deserted during the Iran-Iraq war. I don't even know why he was there. He was so gentle and docile. His, he got married early and his wife told him, go in the military so we can go to Europe afterwards. You get some money, some prestige. But, you know, he was in the back during the fighting, just supplying weapons. And, you know, there were instances where Saddam soldiers would cut the Islamic Republic soldiers' heads off and throw them to the other side. And he deserted and then he got tortured for, by the Islamic Republic's intelligence agency when he fled and deserted and they got him. They started slapping him in the face multiple times. So trust me, I, I understand that Saddam Hussein and the enemy governments of the United States, they're, they're I mean, my parents, my, my dad was supposed to be executed. My mom was supposed to be whipped tens of times. Uh, so I've seen that very clearly. I think for me, when someone says anti-imperialist, for many of the self-described anti-imperialists in the U.S. media, I've seen like a hesitancy to criticize the enemy governments of the United States. Because for me, it's very easy to say like what the U.S. has done to Iraq, what the U.S. has done to Libya, what the U.S. did to Grenada, uh, uh, what the U.S. did to Panama, what the U.S. did to Guatemala, what it did to Chile. Like all these are at the forefront. Um, I think, though, what I see sometimes uh, like, for instance, from Aaron Maté, is he says to me it's not his place to criticize the enemy governments of the U.S. because he's a citizen of the West and he pays taxes to the U.S. That that tax argument doesn't make sense to me because the U.S. pours billions of dollars into the United Nations. The United Nations is supposed to be a global effort. Uh, obviously, like, the U.S. is the, probably the largest purveyor of violence since World War II around the world. I'm not one to deny that at all. But I think it makes it seem like just because you pay taxes to the U.S. that you know, the the other countries, it's those people internally that should speak on it, but you shouldn't speak on it, not necessarily you, you know, and stopping your government from invading. I think that's half the equation. Half the equation is us and everyone around the world stopping the U.S. government from escalating wars, from invading, from occupying, from making Cuba suffer so much from the sanctions. Like the economic sanctions, of course, they devastate um, Cuba for the past, I don't know, 60 plus years, hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, they devastate the people of Iran, they devastate the people of Syria. I'm not denying that at all. I think, though, like when it comes to the U.S., and you mentioned Afghanistan, I don't think necessarily the U.S. first got involved in Afghanistan way back when, in like 79 during Carter's time, just for the resources. I think definitely there's the case now when the U.S. was involved for the past 20 years when they tried with like the kleptocrats of Hamid Karzai and Ashraf Ghani Definitely the resources of like minerals, for sure. I, I remember there's a CNN article about like a $1 trillion worth of minerals in Afghanistan. And I remember even seeing Pete Buttigieg had a map of the minerals in his uh, living space. And uh, of course, mm-hmm. the in Afghanistan, like that's true, I think. But I think foremost, what drew the U.S. in was when the Soviet Union tried to have an influence. If you're familiar with the situation in Afghanistan, there was something called the Sour Revolution in the late 1970s. When you had like, yeah, um, um, uh, Kusha, I do want to make sure I get to the other callers. Oh, sure. Um, c- 
because they have been waiting a, a bit, but um, definitely check back in. I mean, I'm going to do, I call in connected to my show every Friday night, but I, I do want to get to the other callers too, because oh, I know they're waiting. Yeah. Thank you so much for just letting me know. That's not an issue at all. Um, they definitely um, deserve to be able to contribute and, uh, and enjoy your dialogue just like I did. So thank you very much. You have a great rest of your night, Sadie. You too. Thank you. All right. So I'm going to go to the next caller, which is Lex. Lex, are you there? Um, I think your volume's really low. All right. Uh, can you hear me now? Um, can you guys hear her on on call in? Because I, I, Eric, how does she sound on call in? We're going to do it this way. Can you hear me now? Woo-hoo! All right. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay, so yeah, Sabi Sabs, this is Lexi Lex. And uh, for, uh, first of all, I think this is just fantastic what you're what you're doing here. And I'm not going to take up a lot of time because there's a lot of people here with a lot of questions. But first of all, when you talk about um, all of these um, all of these divides and whatnot, and um, first of all, these also, and I'm a, a white woman, but I came um, to this country in 1997 with uh, really um, enormous credentials and was not really able, political credentials, but was not able to infiltrate the political system here. So this tells me also that there's a lot of stuff going on here. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Uh, But also, um, I would really like to um, address what Eric, who was two callers before me, said that, you know, what's important is that person in front of me to build up the person in front of my face. And um, I think that's really important. But the American system seems to be um, we deal with a lot of arrogance and a lot of ego, because I know even when I came to this country, um, with my really very significant credentials and was not able to, you know, infiltrate um, anything in, you know, I mean, I'd have loved to have been a political secretary or uh, or, or just an, an advisor or whatnot. And so, and so my point to you is that I can only imagine for people who don't have... Um, you know the the uh, the education or the background or whatnot. Um, this is not. This is in many ways a very cruel country. And um, mm-hmm. you know, I came here for love, and um, you know, I can always go back to Canada, and you know, but these are just things that are. Uh, and so when I hear all of these um, experiences that people are having, and I'm having these experiences in 
my context. So how much worse can this be uh, for people that, that, you know, don't come at it from from this context? I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound um, arrogant. I don't mean to sound privileged, but it's just uh, it's not a particularly uh, friendly country. Uh, no, it is not. <laughs> You're right about that. It, no, it's, you know, it's, it's true. And, and we come and we, we hope to have, and, and I didn't even come like from a, 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 like a refugee status or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this is not, and I don't understand why why things are the way they are, except that I think there are a lot of old white men that we have to get out of um, and old white women, unfortunately, that we just need to get out of the, out of the, out of the picture. Mm. I think, I think those are all like good points and thank you for sharing your experience um, coming from my friend Meg. She's also uh, from Canada. And so she talks about like her experiences here too, as well. Um, I think that, you know, again, I think a lot of this goes back to the money. I think, listen, one of the things I've, I've learned uh, living in this country is that people treat you a certain way when you have money and people treat you a certain way when you don't. And I think, that is a big part of the problem. And if you look at a lot of the people that are, we have as in office here in the United States that are in DC, a lot of them are much older, but they're also very wealthy. Nancy Pelosi is very wealthy. <laughs> like Chuck Schumer is wealthy. So they have been this way for quite some time. And I think that money can have the ability to corrupt people especially going into a political position and going into a party that is controlled by wall street. So I think that's a big part of it as well. And the reality is when you don't have money in this country, people do treat you a certain way. And all, and there's other factors that go along with this. There's racial issues, there's immigration issues. Um, Some of my friends who have come here from the Caribbean or have come here from, um, like Jamaica, like those, like Central America, stuff like that. They have, uh, they have prejudice towards them that I don't have just because they are an immigrant, if that makes sense. So they go through some of the things that I don't have to go through. And I think that we tend to have this idea. We've been conditioned to believe what is supposed to be American. And unfortunately, now some of this has changed a little bit over the years, but unfortunately, we have been taught, at least since I was a kid, that America looks like a certain type of person. And if you don't look like that certain type of person and you don't have that American dream that some people do come here for, you are seen as less than. But I think a lot of this goes back to to capitalism, to be honest. One of the things, too, that I see a lot of 
is dealing with young people in my own community and among the people that I know is nobody wants to get involved because first of all, you have to have a gazillion dollars even to get involved in politics. So how do you even unseat? I mean, there are the people like even, you know, Pelosi, McConnell, and, you know, I don't care whether you think they've done a good job or not. That doesn't matter. They need to move on and there needs to be um, something new, but that's not happening. You know what, Sabby, I want, um, because you and I talk um, in other forums, so I want you to get on to other calls and other callers. Um, thank you for taking my call. Thanks so much. Okay. All right. So I am going to the next caller in. The next caller is Delthea. So let me go ahead and bring her in. Let's see. I'm trying to trying to make um Delthea the next caller. So give me just a second, you guys. Like I said, this app is kind of I think I'm gonna have to do this again where I go out and come back in. Hold on. I don't know why it won't let me. They really have to fix this with the app because, like, sometimes it won't let you bring in a new person. Hold on, hold on, Delthea. I'm coming. Eric, you think I should refresh? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, but it. I can't even refresh the app. Like. Let me see. It's it's okay if you go all the way out and back in. Yeah, but if I close it, what happens? The room is still... As long as you don't end the room. Okay, we'll see what happens here. Going out and in. Anybody got any good chats for us? Okay. Um, You got gamer in there. They really got to. Okay, here we go. Okay, Delthea, you are next up. Oh, no, we just kicked Delthea. Hold on, let me bring her back in. (laughs) I'm going to bring you in as a speaker, Delthea, so you can just jump right in. So I put you as invite to speak. We're going to make and it work. You have to accept it. I don't know if Delthea can hear me or not. Hopefully. Did it work? Oh, it did work. Okay. So, Delthea, you just need to unmute yourself. Yeah, if you go down to the um, to the bottom and click the unmute part, you should be able to speak. 
Sometimes you have to hit the little microphone a couple times. Yeah, I know. They let me see if it'll let me. No. Nope. So I don't know what happened. Well, Delthea, when you, I'm going to take the next caller, but I'll see your mic when it unmutes. Okay, it's unmuted. Hello. Hey. How are you? (laughs) I can hear you now. Okay. Um. Okay, I, uh, first of all, I wanted to tell you, you make me so happy. And I am so proud of you. And I am so oh. glad you're on. That's the oh, first thank thing. you the so second, much. The second thing I want to tell you, I'm a, how do I feel about the class divide? I'm against it. How do I feel about Congress making the money they do? I don't fault anybody making the money they do, provided they earn it. They don't earn it. Therefore, I'm against that, too. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. now about talking to um, the lumpen proletariat, I have a friend. He's a pastor in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, and he has this thing. He talks about the three Bs. Belonging, behavior, and belief. When you want to talk to somebody who's not necessarily on your page, first you establish belonging. You find something that you agree with them on. Second, you start working on their behavior. You don't have to like me. You don't have to like that person over there, but you do have to work with them. That's the behavior. You get the belonging and behavior down, the belief will follow. That's how you reach across the aisle. Okay, how am I doing on time? Okay. And now the last thing I wanted to say, and I'll get off so somebody else can speak, is don't be so hard on yourself. I honestly believe that there are gremlins in all the computers, so when stuff doesn't work, it's not your fault. And now I say... Mm. Good night. Thanks, Delthea. Thanks so much. You too. All right. I'm going to take the next speaker, which looks like it's Lucky. Lucky Burrito. Hi, Lucky. Hi. Can you hear me? I can. How are you tonight? I'm good. I'm good. I got some whirlpool. I'm all set. <laughs> nice, nice. Oh my gosh, this is so cool. I am so excited that you did this with the call-in. We're gonna start doing this too. This is awesome. It's fun, huh? It's kind of like Twitter Spaces, except uh, you don't have to hold down that mic the whole time. That's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like it. I mean, like, our we got our show started basically because of, like, Slow News Day doing their Friday night call-in show. So, like, you're totally throwing it back to, like, you know, when all of us used to call in there every Friday night. <laughs> yeah, like, I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to call in. 
It's fun. It's fun. Um, so tell me, Lucky, how do you feel about how do you feel about the class divide in this country? I I feel like uh, we need to be we need to be done with the the class divide, and we need intentional communities and mutual aid, and we need to have our own parallel society until the rest of everybody else can uh, figure out that we're not getting out of it by voting. You know, we need to start building our society. Uh, we need to have our seeds and our skills and the things that they can't take away from us. They can't take away your knowledge. They can't take that away. You know, we we need to be prepared because it's going to get ugly. Unfortunately, that's what I feel like is going to happen. And we have to abolish the class. Like, we have to abolish that. We need to get rid of that class divide. That's what needs to happen. What do you think, like, it will take for that for that to happen. I'm, I'm curious. Cause like, I think the problem that I've run into a lot of times is there's some people who are wealthy that are really willing to, to help and to fight. And they understand a lot of times they may have come from working class, like growing up. Right. And then they became like wealthy, like later on, but from my interactions, working with people at places like MIT and Boston university they tend to want to protect their 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 capital. They want to protect like their wealth and they don't that is the impression that, that I've I've received that they don't they don't really want to make any sacrifices to help other people because they feel that if they were able to make it to that level, then other people should be able to do it too. Yeah. And that's why we need to decide that we're not, we're not going to work within that construct anymore. And we need to say, no, we're done with that. We are going to build an intentional, I mean, this is, this is uh, what they do in other countries, right? Like they're like, nope, we're taking this land because we're humans and we live on this planet. We're going to take this land and we're going to do what we need to do here. And that's it. We need, we need to like say no more of this and, and stand up for it and, and actually like be out there in our communities and, 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 and be with the people and talk to our neighbors. And I know I challenge everybody to go out there and talk to your neighbors and talk to somebody that you don't know. Put yourself out of your own comfort zone. And talk to them as if you already know them. Think about everybody as if they're already your friend. And if you look at people like, oh, well, they're already my friend, then, you know, I would be willing to, I would be willing to hear their side of this because they're already my friend, you know? Mm. Have the intention. Have, yeah, we have to have the intention. We need to get over ourselves. We need to get over uh, our anxiety and our whatever preconceived notions like, oh, what what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you say hi to people and start talking to them like they're your friend? What, they're going to look at you like you got two heads? Oh, well, well, I know in New England, that's completely normal. Like, <laughs> people look at me like that all the time. And I'm like, oh, whatever, you know, like. We need, to, we need to shed our egos because our egos are what's holding us back from having these, these connections and these bonds. Like, what are we afraid of? That pretension is you. What are we so afraid of? You laugh about like I'm having a laughing moment with somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like, yeah, no, you can, like, I talk to everybody as, I mean, you know, you, you've, you've been on the show, you, you know, like how I do things and, um, you know, I have my little dog and he's a service dog. So he's with me everywhere too. And because I have him, he is one of the biggest like icebreakers. You know what I mean? Who doesn't want to see a cute little dog and, you know, that's like super excited to greet you and wants to, you know, like that right there. He's my icebreaker and we just need to figure it out. And who cares if we're awkward? Who cares if we say something stupid? Like, what what are you going to lose out of it? It can't be any worse than it is now. That's a good point. Like, what do we have to lose at this point? Like, we already are, you know, we're going in the wrong direction and what we're doing isn't working. And we need to all examine that and all look at the the, the larger picture of it. You know, like, are you going to care how somebody politically identifies if you need a jump start with your car? You know what I mean? No, Ooh. that person's there to help you. You want that person to help you. Do you are you going to screen your doctor and say, "Do you identify the same way with, as I do politically?" Or, you know, are you part of this organization? <laughs> like like can you imagine like if you actually had to compare lists with somebody, you know what I mean? Like I I, I always say like uh, on my show, like, you know, like Steve is my partner and my best friend, and I intentionally spend my life with him, okay? I don't agree with him 100% on everything. I don't expect myself to agree with anybody on 100% of everything. And we just need to get over it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. We don't have time. That's a good, that's a good point. I mean, it's, it's no, that's, that's well said. I, I hear you on that. Um, anything else before I move on to... The next caller? No, that's it. But I can't wait to have you back on. And you are such a treasure and uh, a gem in, in this. And uh, I'm rocking it, Savvy. Yeah, you keep doing what you're doing, Savvy. You're doing amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you, guys. Thanks so much. All right. We'll talk soon. <laughs> See ya. Bye. All right, I'm going to take the next caller, and that caller is Greg Spruce. I don't know why I said it like that. I'm getting kind of silly now, and I just started my second beer. Sorry. Hi, Greg. Nice. Hey, Savvy, how's it going? Good. Um, cool. So, classified. You know, I'm going to reflect on uh, my experience with the Massachusetts uh, class divide. Um having, you know, uh, my all 38 years of my life lived in Massachusetts. Um, so I feel like there's the, you can almost say there's like three big classes or groups. You have, uh, the professional class, which is everyone with pretty much like, like an engineer's salary on up to doctors and, and so forth. Um, they are Democratic voters, and I would say that, like, as much as people think of uh, Mass as, like, progressive, I'd say, like, Elizabeth Warren is the embodiment of, like, uh, the, of, of that group, the uh, the white, <laughs> mostly white professional class Massachusetts. Like, they had, they're, like, these ideas of um, liberal or, like, quote, progressivism, but they really 
you know, are, are, they want to stay comfortable and focus on things like making sure that leaf blowers are banned in their towns. That's, that's that group in Massachusetts. So you have them, you have the white working class, um, who as a, as a manufacturing engineer, I've probably interacted with hundreds of people of the, um, kind of trades type job. It's a trade type job. If you're a machinist or you're working in a uh, forging, uh, company, it's a, um, it's it's not college educated uh, work, but it's not it's like skilled labor at the level of like a you know electrician or, or whatever. But um, so I can tell you that those that group is very conservative, um, mostly Trumpers. Um, there is a good there is some bigotry. There is a lot of um, like Blue Lives Matter uh, flags. I see them everywhere in Massachusetts. Um, so there's that group. And, uh, then you have the, um, minorities, um, in Massachusetts. And then of course the, the poor minorities, in Massachusetts, like they are the ones that are getting screwed the most. Their neighborhoods are being gentrified. Um, their, their small businesses in the Boston area have been destroyed. So I'm going to affect that affects a lot of working class people, um, with how the, uh, pandemic was um, handled in a way that did not consider um, the, the small businesses throughout Boston area. So like, I mean, I mean that, that's, you know, I, I put three groups, but you could, you could divide it however you want, but you know, the, the class, the class divide is right there. It's like the, um, the professional class overall has been okay in Massachusetts. Um, but the poor class is just getting screwed more and more. And um, so there's a bigger divide economically and there's a bigger divide in terms of um, whether it's more on the conservative side or the, uh, or the left side or whatever in, in among the uh, poor class, there's more urgency or there's more, I don't know, I don't know know what the right term, but they're hurting. And, um, and I, 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 that's my summary of what I see is the class divided in Massachusetts and they don't get along. Like, um, for example, like, uh, I have a cousin who has a very thick Boston accent and that's associated with like, you know, the, the working class in Massachusetts and it's, it kind of makes people look down on you. So one time he was at a party mm-hmm. with me and some of my other friends were, I guess I would say more of the professional class. Like as soon as he started speaking, they rolled their eyes because they. Oh, it's like oh no, who brought the peasant? It, it's it, it's uh it's bad. There's a lot of classism here, and I don't have a solution in mind. That's that. That's that's my summary of what I see in Massachusetts. Yeah, no, I I I can attest to that too, and I think Eric can agree with that as well. Like it's. That is, that is um, a big problem here. Like, you're right. They don't get along. Like, yeah. at all. Like, it, it's it's very much... We have a, a large wealth gap here in Massachusetts. And what you see in eastern Massachusetts versus what you see in the western part of the state, it's very different. So, like I, I told you guys, there's a lot of academic elite here in the Boston area because of MIT, because of Harvard, because of BU, because of Boston College. There's so many colleges here. And then a lot of hospitals as well. Um, and then we're number two um, when it comes to startups 
right after Silicon Valley. So tech also came here. So those are the people that this city attracts now, whereas it used to be Boston used to be a working class city. That is no longer the case. So you do have like neighborhoods of people that are working class. And then there may be this kind of, um, I don't want to say anger, but I guess some type of resentment towards the professional class that came into those neighborhoods, gentrified those neighborhoods and have kind of taken over their communities and the working class people have been pushed further away. So there's a lot of, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of tension. (laughs) Yeah. So, all right, Greg, I I, I guess. What's up? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, Oh, um, yeah, I, I guess, um, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, cause I feel like, um, it's easier to, we talk about flipping, you know, Trump voters to uh, Bernie voters like um, Nick was doing. Like it's, it's easier to do that when it's because you're, you're the divide. There's a divide ideologically, but there's no class divide there when you're, when it's two working class people talking to each other. So it's almost, it's easier to, to, um, reach across the, uh, political spectrum than it is to reach across across the class divide, and that is, and, and the other thing that I meant to mention is that there's the most important part is that there's actually you could say there's working class, professional class, and the um, you know one percent or point one percent. So um, if the working uh, working class and the professional class were ever united on a populist idea against the, you know, one percent or point one percent. I mean that that would be a quite that'd be pretty powerful. But I just I don't know what the solution is. I don't know how to um, to bridge the the, the class divide. Mm. That's a good point. I'll have to let that well, marinate. Yeah, I gotta think on that. Uh, me too. All right, I'll let you go. <laughs> but thanks for <laughs> All right, Greg, thanks so much for calling in, and I'm gonna take the next caller. So, um, these are the last three callers I'm gonna take because I did just notice the time, and I don't have much uh, recording space left. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and grab. Uh, I think Donald is next, so I'm gonna take next caller. And Donald, you are on the mic. Can you, can you hear me? I can't. Okay. I, I spoke before, by the way, I was on coffee before I've switched to screwdriver. So I'm a lot calmer, but to clarify, <laughs> you know, no, but I, I'll be super brief. Cause you got two more callers. We're getting to the end and I already have my shot. So just to, just briefly, you know, definitely it would have to be way back for racism, not current white supremacists. Absolutely. You know what I mean? But, but the thing that you were talking about so eloquently about, reading it in books. And I had to get an education. I read all the books about, you know, I was very much, you know, but I didn't understand white privilege. I didn't understand, like, you don't say to someone, oh, I know exactly what you mean. No, you don't know exactly. That's the whole point. And Mm -hmm. what I will just leave with is, it's interesting, I think it happened with folks in the suburbs anymore. And I always felt that I'd never raise my kids in the suburbs, only in the inner city or in 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 the country. But one thing about rural folks I don't think people on the left get is that they're so gettable for this reason. When I was only a suburban kid and hadn't 
had a lot of life experience, hanging out in a small, medium-sized town of Syracuse, going to the country bars. And it was this fancy bar, and it was Friday. We we're getting some wine for a party my friend was having, and she worked at the place. And there was people in baseball caps. There was fancy three-piece suit guy, suited guys, you know, and everybody in between, you know, because it was a small town atmosphere where different classes of people had no choice if you lived, you know, in the country. The lawyers and doctors and the professional class is hanging out with the farmers and the people that, you know, shower before work, you know, after work, you know. And that's something that people can get to in the country, you know, that you might not get in suburbia where you're so separated from folks. So I, I just hope that Democrats, well, forget the Democrats, but people on the left will just realize, and I live in the country now, like I said, I can argue with Trumpsters and Navin, and I, I don't just try to find areas of agreement. I jump right into why Trump's wrong and they should learn, you know, I, I challenge them, but, you know, we've got to be able to do that. And I think that people on the left need to look at the rural areas. There are so many gettable people that have drifted, like, and, mm -hmm. and I'll stop with this. A lot of folks, this is not a, you know, apocryphal that voted for Sanders and they did not go to Clinton. They don't like Biden. They went to Trump and they'll vote for him again. So I'll leave with that, you know. Mm, well said. Thank you so much for that, Donald. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I meant to say before, I love what you do, you know, to say, oh, I love you. That's kind of cringy. But no, I, I really appreciate what you do. And you're so eloquent and so thoughtful. Uh, you know, thanks. You know, I'll be listening to all your stuff. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you. So I'm going to go ahead and um, go to the next caller, which is Allison. So let me go ahead and take Allison. So Allison, you are on the mic. Doopy doopy doo. So you'll just have to tap the a microphone down at the bottom of the app. Can can you hear me now? I can. Okay, so sorry, I had to relaunch the app. Um, so I've just been listening to all the different callers, and uh, thank you so much for creating this kind of environment for people to share their stories. Um, I, so I live in suburbia, um, in like near te in Texas, and so much of Texas has become this kind of extended suburb where people usually live in like multi generational housing where you have like yeah like grandma grandpa you know the you know maybe it's grandma and grandpa's house you know and that's the whole generation is living there um and like to be so thankful to have that one space but then there's so many other people who don't have that opportunity um so they're like really struggling and like paying like 90 percent of their wages in rent like i'm not joking um and i think the class divide is not so much like with, necessarily with your neighbors or people within one particular city, it's like literally with those who have power and those who don't. Um, so I've been like just in my free time, I like to go to Open Secrets and like look at how much different um, either candidates or elected officials are making. And like we're talking like a hundred million dollars. Like like I don't even like I've never even made more than like the above poverty level in my life. Okay, and I'm educated, um, and have like speak five languages, and I've just never been able to make that kind of money. And I'm like, people, these people have a hundred million dollars, and they're trying to tell me how to live. Um, and I just think we should like actually hold a standard for people that we're electing to office, and once they get into office, like why are we like? I mean, I know the reason why. The reason why is the only people who can actually run for office are those 
those who have an obscene amount of wealth, like not just a little bit of money, but people who can actually like completely quit whatever their job is, or say they're a lawyer, so they're, you know, do they work? You know, I'm, I'm, I don't really know what a lot of lawyers do, but I don't know if it actually works sometimes or like people who are an accountant, like, like some people who say those, those are their jobs. Like they're not actually doing the job. Their undersecretaries or their other people below them are doing the actual work and they just show up to take credit. Um, like the professional managerial class, um, essentially. And, um, what the person before was calling like, okay, you could go down to the one bar in the small town. And like, that doesn't exist anymore. Like everyone in the small town is poor like very poor um and like do they even have an opportunity to go down to the bar because that costs money like it costs money to go to public spaces like i saw on twitter the other day like in america you're only allowed to be in public if you're spending money making money or uh have money and i think that's such a like as someone who is currently unemployed i'm like i literally have to okay well i guess i'll go to panera bread to like you know, give an excuse to be in public. Cause it's not like I can go to the library. Like no one's wearing masks at the library. And if you even have a public space, like most people do not have public spaces anymore or never had them to begin with, um, either because of gentrification or just like the city was made that way. Like, um, so y'all are in, I assume in Massachusetts, which I think is, you know, that's great. I've never been that far North. Um, but I'm just, those towns are really old. A lot of cities now, especially in the South, are brand new. Like they're completely yeah. they were nothing. They were a field before. And so it's been corporatized since the very beginning. Like maybe you did have some houses, maybe you didn't. Um, but for the most part, it just like to me, what I'm seeing in my neighborhood is like we had a house here that's now worth like four times as much as it was just because our city sold the land to corporations like those farmers died and then that land got mm. sold by their descendants and like you see a lot of new spaces like this popping up in like the midwest and in like you know texas you know other places that previously didn't have like an established city beforehand um so anyways my my point has gotten lost um what i wanted essentially like if I could hear your thoughts as someone who does live in an area that like has an old school or like has, you know, like it has that kind of like extended amount of like very rich people. And like, you can see it clearly. Like I can't see it clearly. Like I'd have to go to like really far out of my town, like towards the edge of the city to see where like people have been moved into like, um, like, God, I don't even know sure where I'm going with this. Um, essentially, I'm just I'm real tired. I'm I'm real tired of. It's okay. The only, yeah, the only people who are able to to like get into power or to like have any influence are people who are like not just wealthy but obscenely wealthy. Like to in a point where I'm like, wow, you would be first on the chopping block, you know, in revolutionary France, like because they're making a hundred million dollars, like and. Even people like who are progressive, you know, you look at it and they got they got their house paid off. They've got the 401k set up like most Americans don't have like even that base amount. So I just wish more cities would pay for people to be on city council um, and like be on school board. I think that alone would just like 
increase the amount of power the left has is if we actually wrote into law payment for people who are doing work for our communities because the only people who are going to show up or, or are going to try are the people who already have their own business or who are retired or so wealthy that like the next best thing is like to actually get power you know that that's what they want now um and so I, yeah. Any, anyways, um, thank you so much for creating this kind of opportunity for me to talk and um, for other people to talk and and um, and to listen what like people have to say. Like, I follow a lot of people on Twitter, um, and I have like my friends from like we have a common interest. So because of our common interest, we are friends within people who are like multi generations who are different classes and who vote differently. Well, not really. We don't vote differently. Like. Um, yeah, because we we kind of like there's there's rules. Like if you're gonna be a racist asshole, you don't get to be in the friend group. Um like period. Like I I don't I mean, no offense. I know someone has to make those amends, you know, but I would much prefer like trying to tackle like other things than like I don't know, I feel like it's a job for white men, you know, they get paid way more than everybody else and I feel like they should do a lot more, you know, outreach to their comrades, you know, who are also white men to do some of that learning that needs to be you know, unlearning that needs to be done about reality. Um because you know, mm. and they like live in their little silos. So who are they gonna listen to? Um and I think like it's just it's such a burden to be placed on, you know, queer LGBT, you know, or like, you know, black people or POC or poor people in general, we're asking them to like radicalize what? Like, um, so anyways, to everyone who had that, you know, mentioned earlier, I challenge you to please do some of that work yourself. Um, even if it's just one person, um, you know, I think that would be, that would be great. Um, and it's good to put, you know, you know, practice, right? Like, um, you can't ask someone else to do something unless you're willing to do it yourself. Um, and so that's, that's all I have to say. Um, thank you so much for this chatting time and thank you like really for all your work you're doing and like having these conversations, having like normal people kind of talk, um, for once, um, is great. Um, thank you. Thanks so much for calling in Allison. Well said, well said. Um, all right, I'm going to take my last caller, you guys, because it's 1037. Um, take next caller, and then I am going to wrap this up, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so Jay, you are on the mic. All you have to do is unmute. Sabi? Hey! Okay, cool. Uh, first time caller? Uh, never actually called to anybody aside from people that I know. <laughs> um, let's see. So I just wanted to be quick. And I guess one of the things I haven't heard from the left is nationalizing the oil. I mean, seems like something that people would be talking about or pushing for, or at least giving the fear into corporations that are price gouging us. So I don't don't understand why that's not something that at least should be mentioned or at least should be, you know, brought up in conversation, something that we can do that would actually impact um, corporations' profits that they keep taking from us. Uh, second is student loans are coming up. It, it seems like it's going to be pushed off again for another maybe three months, six months, maybe. I don't have it, Jay. I don't have it. I'm I'm about to tell them I don't have it. 
<laughs> wait, wait, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so I don't understand why Bernie or AOC or any other like so-called progressive uh, never made the, I guess, the argument for people that were considered essential workers during the time their student loans should have been gone. If they were so essential for the economy to run, we should have been right? the first ones up to given to be uh, forgiven. Like, hey, I'm not going to go to work. If I'm so uh, essential for this job and the economy, then shouldn't my student loans be forgiven in exchange for me pretty much putting my, my body out there, for, like potentially dying? And so I don't know why AOC or Bernie Sanders couldn't have made that kind of like argument. And I mean, I'm sure people were going to be like, hey, that is true. Like, why am I putting myself out there if this system doesn't really like care for me? So that's it. Uh, just wanted to put that out there. Hopefully more people talk about it or like it's brought up. But yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for calling in. Thank you so much, Jay. Uh, two things I want to mention before I close out. Um, there was something that was brought up tonight that I think we do need to talk more about, and that is rural America. So Donald had, had brought this up. I feel like a lot of times rural America is forgotten about. And when I say rural America, I'm not talking about, I have a friend that lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm talking about, I have a friend that lives in out in the boonies of North Carolina. Some of you, if you've lived down South, you know what I'm talking about. I think rural America is, has been forgotten about. There are issues and certain concerns that they need as well. And I also think about industry and where they choose to build companies. I told you this before. I never see them bring like Google or Facebook into these rural towns in America. They usually concentrate themselves on the coast with the academic elite institutions because those are the students that they usually recruit. And it's unfortunate but I think that is a discussion that I do want to have with people who live in rural America. I know Margot is one, uh, Princess Blanding is another one. And I want to hear about the concerns and what they have to go through. Because you want to talk about Wi-Fi connection or having difficulty with that. Okay, whatever, blah, blah. That's, that's one little thing. But I'm talking about people who may be totally dependent on the farms, the food that they're growing in the farm, and whether or not the seasons and climate change affect whether or not they'll be able to feed their families. So I do want to hear from more people that live in rural America what life is like for them, especially when it comes to the economy. Um, sometimes people that live further out in those towns have longer commutes coming into work because there may not be as many jobs in rural, the rural town that they live in. Um, so I definitely do want to hear more from those people. And another thing that was mentioned that uh, Jay actually just mentioned was the issue about student loans and people that were considered essential workers, because that was something I didn't think about before. But that makes a lot of sense because if you were an essential worker, why didn't they at least cancel student loans for those individuals? 
because you were putting your health and your life at risk at that point in time you were every time you went into work. So that is a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Jay, Don, I'm glad you wrote your points. You guys all said like awesome things tonight. Um, I have so, I have so many more questions now. <laughs> so many more questions. Uh, go ahead and I'll, I'll take that. Um, I'll take that tip on Rockfin, Eric. Thank you so much for that tip, Michael, on Rockfin. Um, you guys, like, I have so many more questions now, and I definitely want to, like, again, talk to more people. I see Western Mass is in the house. What's going on? What's going on, Western Mass? Like, you really have to go out to, like, rural areas to see the difference. And I think it's really difficult if you've never lived that life. Radical leftist agenda just said they want us poor people to die so they can use the rest of the world's resources for themselves. There was a woman that came on recently named Allison. She lives in rural America and she was telling me that Bill Gates has been he's buying up all this water and resources and Bill Gates has been stealing people's water. And not many people are talking about that. And that's scary and that's concerning. I told you guys before that Mark Cuban bought a town in Texas that he actually has no idea what he wants to do with it. Mark Zuckerberg is buying up land in Hawaii. What are they preparing for? Because I can let you know right now, when times get worse, those people are not going to try to save the rest of us. And this is why I say we need to start focusing on the class issue. We need to stop being divided over left versus right. And at the end of the day, we're going to have to help each other because those politicians that you elected to put into office, guess what? If the economy collapses here, do you think those politicians that we voted for that's supposed to serve the American people, do you think they're going to come back and help the people in their district? Don't think so. Don't think so. They're going to save themselves. And it's unfortunate. But this is the world that we live in. And this is the country that we live in. And all I want to do is ask you guys to just educate your friends, educate your family members, just pass on the message. Just pass it on. Let everybody know as many people as possible. That's all I ask you to do. So I'm going to go ahead and in the call-in portion, guys, thank you so much for those of you who called in. This has been a great discussion. I really appreciate it. Come back next Friday. I'll do another call-in um, as well. So I'm going to go ahead and end the room and call-in. So adios, everyone. Thank you so much for chatting.